they're everywhere, and we see them every day, so much so that I don't even think we really even think about it anymore, and yet, yet the reason that they are there is because somebody did something that required them. I'm talking about warning signs. Uh, you find warnings on your clothes. <laughs> you find warnings on just about everything that you buy, everything that you do, that it comes with a warning. Yesterday, I was watching some TV, and there was a Diet Mountain Dew commercial on, and I like Diet Mountain Dew, and there ought to be all kinds of warnings that come along with Diet Mountain Dew, but this particular, I don't know if you've seen this commercial, in this commercial, there's a horse jumping competition in the commercial, and it's very obvious that it's done with CGI, the horse is doing impossible things, the guy's basically riding the horse like you would a BMX bike, I mean, he's up on the rail skating along, and He's doing flips and all kinds of stuff. And across the bottom of the screen comes the words, Warning, do not attempt this at home. And I thought, great. Why did I buy this horse? I can't do this at home. There's a website you can go to called dumbwarnings.com. Don't go there right now. There's a collection of some of the best ones there. And and it's updated almost every day. And I picked out just a few to share with you. This is a warning that came on the side of a tube of of stick deodorant. It says, warning, use only on underarms. But my feet stink. What am I supposed to do about that? There's a warning on a bottle of uh, baby oil. Okay, baby oil. It says, warning, keep away from children. Don't want to let the kids anywhere near the baby oil. That's a problem. This is one of the sad ones. Uh, It's on a Halloween costume, uh, a Batman Halloween costume. And the warning on that says, warning, cape does not enable user to fly. I was so disappointed. I thought that this would work. And one of my favorites, this is actually in the instructions with an iron. Um, and the instructions actually say, warning, do not iron clothes while wearing them. And you know, there had to be a guy who was like, eh, it's too much trouble taking the shirt off. They'll get it off me in the emergency room. And the sad thing is, behind every one of those warnings, there are probably hours upon hours of lawyer fees. And behind every one of those warnings, there is one really dumb story where somebody did something that he probably knew he shouldn't do, but he did it anyway. And now it has to be spelled out for all of us. Don't do that. Sadly, it's, it's human nature and it's right there from the very beginning. In fact, we're going to look at the first warning in the very beginning in Genesis chapter 2. We're going to look at Genesis 2, beginning in verse 15, and then we're going to go on into Genesis chapter 3. I want to start off with Genesis 2, 15 through 17. Shouldn't be too hard to find. It's right there in the front of your Bible. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but 
of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. I had to look at Shirley when I said that. Now I want you to notice something. At one time, that was the entire Bible. (laughs) That was it. That was the whole Word of God. How easy was that? I mean, you could memorize the entire Bible in just a matter of moments back then. You'd have the entire Word down. There was one set of instructions. You can eat all you want from any tree except one. And and hear the freedom in that. Any tree. You can pick anything off of any tree you want. You got an apple tree, you got a banana tree, you got a pork chop tree, whatever you want, it's yours. You can eat off of any of them, except for that one tree. Do not eat off of that one tree. How hard would it be to keep that one command? It's pretty easy, right? Go on down to chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And we could read on. And we could read of, of curses and, and trouble and pain in childbirth and sweat of our brow. And, and at, that point, history, at that point in history, life became complicated and the Word of God became complicated. And we, we have more and more instructions because we failed to keep those original simple instructions. And as you look at the story, really there are two things that are happening in this story. One of them is, of course, satanic deception. First of all, you've got satanic deception. The very first verse of chapter 3 warns that the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field. More crafty does not mean that he was good at macrame, okay? Or that he he had a good, you know, he could sew, like some people. No, more crafty means that he was devious, that he was sly, he was mischievous. Some cultures speak of Satan as, as... the trickster, okay? And that's the idea. It also can mean that he was more wise, which really fits in well when you consider what the temptation is about here. In, in verse 6, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight for the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Now, the desire for wisdom in itself is not a bad thing. You should desire wisdom. Read Proverbs. The entire book of Proverbs is all about desire wisdom. You know, seek wisdom. Wisdom is better than silver and gold and all these other things. And, and, and it goes on and on and on about the need for wisdom. 
But at the expense of obedience to God, no. At the expense of, without being grounded in God's word, we have a problem when it comes to wisdom. You notice the serpent is playing dumb. The serpent knows the prohibition. He knows that there's only one tree that they are not allowed to eat from, and so he he chooses subtlety as his means of deception. He asks Eve in verse 2 of chapter 3, he said, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Is that what God said? No, no, it's, it's not, and, and he knows that. But, but look at the question. He, he's saying, isn't God unfair? Aren't you hungry? You, I heard that you can't eat at all. I heard you can't eat of any of the trees. Is that, is that true? And he gives Eve a chance to defend God in her response. And that, that leads us to the second problem. See, it's not just about satanic deception. You can't put all the blame on the serpent. We also have the problem of human interpretation. We can't say, the devil made me do it. You know, We have the problem of human interpretation or lack of interpretation because our own understanding is flawed. And I'm really not sure who to blame here. That there, There's a problem. See, if you go back to chapter 2. If you go back to chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, God gave these instructions to Adam, okay? Right? God gave those instructions to Adam. Placed man in the garden to take care of it. He gives the instructions to Adam. Verse 18 of chapter 2, verses 18 through 25, what happens? Eve is created. So Eve wasn't there at all when God gave those instructions. I'm just speculating at this moment, okay? I'm just speculating based on what I know of people. So who told Eve what the prohibition was? Probably Adam. Probably her husband. I'm just spitballing here. What are the chances he got it wrong? (laughs) What are the chances he didn't tell her everything? What are the chances he wasn't paying attention? You know? Can we eat of that tree? Uh, No, don't eat of that one, don't even touch it. Just, just leave it alone. You know? what, what are the chances that he got it wrong? Or maybe it wasn't that he didn't tell her enough. Maybe he told her more than enough. I really think that's at the heart of a lot of our misunderstandings and, and misinterpretations. We don't really look at what God said. We look at what someone else said that God said. Sometimes we think that God didn't say enough. God needs our help. God needs us to clarify things for him. He didn't explain things well enough. And sometimes we think it might even be dangerous to do the things that God said. You know, if we just take him at his word, that's a little dangerous. We can get in trouble if we do the things that God said. And we we can probably do better. So look at Eve's response in verses 2 and 3 again. She says, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, if you go back to chapter 2, does God say anything about touching the tree? God doesn't mention touching the tree. God doesn't say anything. He just says, don't eat of it. He doesn't even mention touching it. Eve felt it necessary to add to God's prohibition. She felt it was necessary to add something to the Word of God. And to be fair, saying don't even touch it, that's something you'd say to your kids, isn't it? You know, 
Don't eat that. Don't even touch it. You know, that baby oil, don't even touch it. It's probably safer to do that because if you touch it, you, you might then eat it. You know, it's like a slippery slope thing and eventually. But is it the Word of God? No, it's not the Word of God. It is wrong to present a human prohibition as though it were the Word of God. And this seems to be a fairly common way that Scripture is misused. We think that, that God did not say enough. And so we bend the Word of God in such a way to provide a, a warning for others, to keep people from stepping over the line. And, and I have to say, it's, it's probably done with the best of intentions. It's probably done with the, the, just the greatest of intentions to protect other people, to keep them safe, to keep them from doing something wrong. But it's wrong to bend the Word of God no matter how sincere the reason. And, and we're going to look at some stuff in the coming weeks. you got your little sermon card in there so you can see what, what's coming up in the weeks to come and what topics we're covering. And we have a few extras, and if you want to take one of those and give it to your friend and say, hey, we're going to talk about this in a couple weeks. Come listen to this. This would be great. Um, you can do that. And, and some of those things that we're going to look at are things that maybe you've always believed. You know, a lot of people have. Maybe you believe them sincerely. You can believe something sincerely, and you can be sincerely wrong about it. Back when we were in our first ministry up in Hinesboro, there was this very sweet lady in the church. Her name was Frances. She was a sweetheart. She could fry potatoes and onions like nobody's business. That woman could cook. And we spent a lot of time over at Francis's having meals. And uh, she just was a great lady, so sweet, just the nicest person you'd ever want to meet. Kind of shirt tail relatives of us, or kind of related to, to Francis and her family. And so I spent a lot of time with her family, spent a lot of time with her daughter and her son-in-law. And, and one day I was over at her daughter and son-in-law's house having lunch with them. And, and we were talking and having a great time. And finally, Francis's daughter stopped and she said, I need to tell you something about mom. I said, okay, what's up with mom? And she said, mom is worried about Trish. And I said, well, I'm worried about Trish. <laughs> Why is your mom worried about Trish? And she said, mom is worried that Trish won't go to heaven. Now, there's a lot of things I worry about my wife, but going to heaven isn't one of them. It's just not, not on my radar. I said, okay, well, why is your mom worried that my wife won't go to heaven? And she said, because Trish, Trish's mom and dad were not married. And some of you know Trish's backstory. Trish's mom and dad were never married. In fact, her father's name was kept off the birth certificate. She doesn't even know who her father was. And mom was always taught that if you don't know who your daddy is, you can't go to heaven. It says that in the Bible. Was anybody else taught that? Anybody? Well, I was immediately confused because you'd think they would have covered that in Bible college, um, but they didn't. And so I started searching and the closest I could find to anything like that, there's, there's a little verse in Deuteronomy 23. Deuteronomy 23, verse 20 says, 
no one born of a forbidden union may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, none of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord. That's it. Assembly means temple. It means the, uh, the temple worship. And the purpose was that only Jews were allowed in the temple, right? Only Jews, the children of Abraham, were the only people allowed in the temple for assembly. And so if you could not prove that you were a Jew, that you were a descendant of Abraham, you were not allowed to go to temple worship. We see this continue on uh, through Ezra and Nehemiah when they come back in and all this. You know, it's the same thing. If you can't prove your ancestry, you're not allowed to join the assembly, even to the 10th generation. Now, the best I can tell is some preacher in Francis's past, probably in the 1920s or 30s, some preacher with very good intentions taught her that she needed to be a good little girl. And she needed to make sure that she didn't make any mistakes. And the last thing you want is to have a baby out of wedlock. You don't want to do that because if you have a baby out of wedlock, your baby won't get to go to heaven. And your grandkids won't get to go to heaven. And your great-grand, on down to the 10th generation, because the Bible teaches us that if you don't know who your daddy is, if you don't have a daddy, you can't go to heaven. Now, this woman was in her mid-70s. She had lived the majority of her life with this fear that if there was a child born out of wedlock, that child wouldn't get to go to heaven. She had lived with this fear for her own daughters, which she had several, and for her granddaughters and for her great-grandchildren, that somehow they wouldn't be able to go to heaven. She had spent the majority of her life believing that there is a God who sends little kids to hell if they don't know who their daddy is. Now that may seem extreme, but i got to tell you, it's not. There is all kinds of stuff like that out there. There are all kinds of things. People misinterpret the Bible to manipulate. They, they, they misinterpret the Bible to cause fear-based obedience. And it's not that they are evil. They have the best of intentions. The irony is, the Bible teaches that if we misrepresent what we teach, if we teach wrong things, we get to go to hell. <laughs> so the people teaching these things are the ones in, in real danger. But it's not that they're evil. They, some of them have the best of intentions. Over the past couple of weeks, I've been really surprised, but the question has come up again about suicide and hell. And the question has been asked, is committing suicide a guarantee that you're going to hell? And I don't want to get into the whole of it, but that's not in the Bible, folks. That is not in the Bible. Do you know what is in the Bible? Romans chapter 8, verse 35. What shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord? And you know what the answer is? Nothing. Nothing at all can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. His grace is bigger than that. Now, I understand why somebody wanted to teach that. Because they didn't want kids to make a horrible mistake. They didn't want anyone to make a horrible mistake. But think about what that does for the people left behind. Think about what that 
what kind of hurt that inspires. That is, that is wrong. People have the best of intentions. But the devil likes to sell, tell us, didn't God say this? And you've, and it's not just the devil, it's teachers sometimes, preachers. You've got to be careful. You've got to read for yourself. You have to listen carefully. And it's okay to ask somebody sometimes, excuse me, where does it say that? Can you give me a book, chapter, and verse? Can you tell me where it says that? And this is where we need godly wisdom. This is where we need discernment because sometimes we think that we know better than God. We think we know better than God. If what we believe is not grounded in the Word of God, then we really only have two options. Satanic deception or our own judgment over the Word of God. Our own judgment over the judgment of God. And really, that was the issue here in the garden. It's not about forbidden fruit. It's not about, oh, that looks so good. I just have to have something to eat. It's about wisdom. God had said, if you eat that fruit, you will die. Satan's response in verses 6, well, you read on verses six, uh, 4 through 6, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And look at verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. She saw that it was to be desired to make one wise. And I have to wonder, how did she see that? How did she know? Was there a label on the side of the tree? Take one daily for wisdom. You know, warning, do not operate heavy machinery. <laughs> I don't know. How did she know that this was to be desired to make one wise? Eve chose to trust her own understanding rather than God's truth. And here's what, here's what really gets me. Look at 6 and 7 again. Verse 6, she saw that the tree was good. You see that? She saw that the tree was good, that it was a delight to the eyes. That's interesting. It was a delight to the eyes. Get that? Look at the very next verse after they eat. Verse 7 after they eat, then the eyes of both were open. Her eyes weren't even open when she saw that it was good to eat and that it was a delight to the eyes. She didn't see the whole truth. And rather than trust God, she relied on her very limited perception. And in the next verse, we find these two people who were created to live in communion with God, who were created in the image of God, who were created to walk with God. You find these two people in the very next verse, and they're afraid of God. They hear God walking through the garden, and they hide from Him. They are afraid of Him, and I want you to get this. This is important. They are afraid of Him because they did not obey His Word. And since they did not obey His Word, they did not know what to expect from Him. Because by not obeying what He said, they didn't know His heart. 
you've seen the list of topics that we're covering. You've seen the, the little bookmark that you've got with the topics and what Sundays we'll be covering what. And some of these came from your suggestions. Some of you asked me to, to preach some of these topics. Um, and I want to clarify something for you, though. Some of these things are, are beliefs that people have had for a long time, things that we do with the Bible and things that we believe that aren't in the Bible. Let me make something clear. None of the things on this list will send you to hell. <laughs> okay? God's grace is bigger than our understanding or our misunderstandings. None of these things will, will send you to hell. I am certain of that. None of these will cost you your salvation. I don't believe we're saved by being right. Okay? God's grace is bigger than our understanding. However, you may find yourself in a position where you believe God for something that He never promised. Or you believe God to be something that He never said that He was or to do something that He never promised you, you would do. Some, some people take promises in the Bible and they think that's for me and they name it and claim it, right? When God never said that for us. That was for somebody else. And that can lead to fear because suddenly we don't know what to expect from God. It can also lead to disappointment because God's not doing what He told me He would do. And it can also damage our witness because we're telling other people that God is something that He never said that He was. What does Jesus say about the Bible? In John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and the teachers. In John 5, 39, Jesus said, You search the Scriptures... Because you think that in them you will find eternal life. But the Scriptures testify about me. Luke chapter 24, verse 27, on the road to Emmaus, after His resurrection, Jesus comes alongside those two disciples who are walking and they begin talking about all the things that have happened in Jerusalem. And haven't you heard about this and that? And, and Jesus, in, in Luke 25, excuse me, Luke 24, verse, uh, verse 27, it, Luke says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he began interpreting to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. See, the Bible is not primarily about you. <laughs> it's not about me. It's about Jesus. And in our reading, in our Bible reading, if it doesn't take us back to Jesus, then we've missed the point. And in my preaching, if I don't eventually bring us back to Jesus, I haven't done my job. We've missed the point. When we study, if we don't get back to Jesus, and if instead we make it all about us, and look at all the things I get, look at all the promises I get, and we don't ever bring it back to Jesus... We're not standing on the right foundation. We're not standing on our rock, and we can't trust what we are standing on because Jesus is our rock, the rock for our life, the rock for our understanding, the rock for everything that we do. It has to come back to Him. And so that's what we're going to try to do over the summer. I promise you I'm going to have fun with some of these topics. We're going to have a good time with this. It's going to be a, a fun thing to look. I've been looking forward to doing these for, for months since I, I started working this out. But ultimately, we're going to bring it back to Jesus every time. We're going to bring it back to who He is and who He's promised to be. He's promised to be our rock. He's promised to be our foundation. 
maybe, maybe he's not your, maybe you haven't stood on that foundation yet. Maybe you haven't made that decision and said, I'm going to make my life about you. you know, we would love to help you out with that. We would love to be there for you when, when you're ready to make that decision. Just like Susan came last week and said, I'm ready. And she's excited. You know, we want you to be excited. We're excited with you. We're excited as we, as we make those decisions, as we decide we're going to stand for Jesus. Because there's nothing else that we can stand on, nothing else that will get us through this life. Let's stand together. If you need to make a decision, we invite you to do that today.